This is WPCast, the tactical podcast where we help you accelerate your business with WordPress. I'm Doug from PodWP, where we specialize in designing and hosting podcast websites. And I'm David from FatCat Apps, where we build WordPress plugins such as easy pricing tables and easy opt-ins that drive conversions. This is episode 33, Why Reputation Matters. How are you doing this week, Doug? Doing all right. I'm so big change for me is I'm going with a, a new approach and that's to to change the design packages on on PodWP to a website in a day and website in a week services. This strategy I've I've kind of derived from a couple of guys who have done it successfully already. So Bill Erickson is a, a Genesis WordPress developer and designer and He's changed his, his model a bit, but it used to be a website in a week, and I believe now it's a website in two weeks. But it was, uh, it was always an interesting idea for me because it really concentrates it into you know, specific start and end time. And then, of course, you know, somebody can hire you to do further work later on. But as a designer and developer, you know, I'm often waiting for clients to get me stuff. And then you know, when I've got multiple projects and sometimes my clients have to wait longer if, if I'm swamped with other work. So by scheduling projects like this, I think overall you get more efficiency because you're working on fewer things at the same time. And at least for me, I like getting projects turned around faster. So, you know, we would uh, like, you know, schedule the project in advance and then, you know, for a specific week in the future, and then, you know, we'd start and end at a certain time. And for the client, I think it would also be good because, yes. it's, you know, even with scheduling it in advance, they're probably going to get a, a faster turnaround than with somebody else who's, you know, juggling a bunch of projects. And then just people take a long time to get back to each other. So Bill Erickson is, is where I got the idea for the, for the website in a week. And then there's another service called WP Theory, where they do a website in a day. And I'm sure there's other plenty of other people that are doing the same type of services, but I think these are probably the highest profile. And, you know, both of these, I, I think is, it's something, you know, you have to have quite a bit of experience to be able to do that, especially website in a day, because you don't have a lot of room for error. You really have to know what you're doing. You have to work efficiently and quickly to get, you know, a, a decent quality result in a day. I mean, you know, most people can do a really basic website in a day, but, you know, to be able to do, to customize the design and then reformat some content mm. and, you know, react to feedback from the client during that day, there's kind of a lot of moving parts. And I've done a bunch of work in person and, you know, I kind of like doing that because it gets, it's a very high ROI for my time because it's all done at once and I don't have the cost of switching between tasks. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't have to wait for, for emails from the client. And I think, as I mentioned before, you know, the client gets it turned around faster. And, you know, it's pretty rare that I would say, you know, the average website that you hire somebody for gets turned around in even a week. Right. I would, you know, I, I have no idea what the actual numbers are. and I don't think there's a way to get them, but it's probably, you know, two to four weeks, maybe for even like the simpler sites, yeah. just because there's uh, a lot of back and forth. And just as an anecdote, I've been once involved in a website project, which I think it was going on for like six or seven months or so. And, you know, it was this exact issue that you mentioned where 
you know, you send something to the client, he doesn't get back to you for like two months or so. And then like in the meantime, you have other stuff going on. So you don't get back to him for a couple of weeks or so. And then like all of a sudden seven months is over and you know, nothing has happened in the project. Yeah. Eventually like maybe even gets canceled or something like that because it's just nothing moving forward. So it sounds like a really good way to circumvent this kind of situation. Yes. So by the time this episode goes live, you'll probably be able to see it on uh, PodWP. And so um, what's going to be your price point? So the price points, which might change over time, but it's going to be 950 for the website in a day and 1950 for website in a week. And so, of course, there's going to be some restrictions on... Sounds pretty reasonable. You know, what, yeah. It doesn't sound... Yeah. You might be able to get away charging twice as much, um, I think. But yeah. But I guess you know, got to get started somewhere and see how it goes. Yeah. I think, you know, pricing can be, you know, something to test and also kind of expectations. There's a definite limit on what can be done in a day. And, yeah. you know, even with a week, obviously, I can't do thousand page websites in a week or, you know, even a hundred or depending on how complex they are, there's going to be limits on what can be done. So defining those limits, you know, especially in the beginning is going to be a bit tough because as opposed to doing a project proposal, you know, on what is included and, you know, what the cost of different components are and stuff like that. This one, I'm trying to productize it more. And so yeah. that's going to be a bit of a challenge in, in the beginning is, is finding that. And I'll probably, you know, take a little bit of a loss because when you're first testing something like this out, I think it's, and you know, this ties into uh, this episode, I think it's important that if you make a mistake, if you uh, misgauge how long something's going to take you, then mm-hmm. as the provider, you know, if, if somebody's paying you for it and you agree to that price, you know, you have to kind of, you know, suck it up and, and take that loss, you know, spend the extra time to deliver what you promised. And then yeah. the next time you learn from that. But one of the things... I think a lot of people have gotten uh, burned by by web designers on or developers is that they get quoted one price and then the designer developer goes back and says, this took me longer than I thought. Right. I have to charge you more. And that's something that's always driven me nuts because if it takes somebody longer than they thought, you know, they're the one who should be paying for it or eating the cost yeah. or, you know, they should give the refund. They shouldn't just charge the client just because they were from a mistake that they made. And then obviously if it's something like that's going to take you a thousand hours or something, well, one is that you, you were really bad at estimating, uh, right. but some cases like that, then, you know, you, you know, you have to, you know, keep things a little more reasonable and something like that. I would mean more towards trying to do a refund or, or yeah. something like that. But um, again, I think it's important to, you know, basically be willing to do the extra work and, and, you know, take that hit in the beginning or, you know, go, above and beyond for some clients early on until you get, you know, everything figured out similar to, you know, how you start a a lot of these services businesses, you don't always have everything to find out before you start because, you know, you can't possibly think of all the the combinations. And I think you're always going to be better off, you know, undercharging and over delivering than doing doing it the other way around. I think with the website and the data scope is also pretty clear, you know, I mean, you're basically going to spend a solid day of work on this. I guess one thing with the website in a week, I assume you're not going to be working 40 hours on this for $1,900. So I think you have to make sure to communicate that uh, yeah. correctly. Yeah. Something like that is obviously more work than the website in a day, but it's not five, you know, website in a day's right. combined. 
the idea with that is it's it's spread out more to give the client more time to give feedback on the design and also to accommodate greater amount of content and you know more customized design it'd be pretty tough to do a fully custom design in one day but mm-hmm. in one week it's possible yeah sure so one more question so you're putting it on PodWP, which is your uh, podcast website design and uh, hosting service are you also re- offering it on your other site efficient wp which yeah, is just like it's, more general type of websites yeah and so these are pretty much it's the same hosting platform these are they're finally on the same hosting provider technically flywheel, right yeah they're on flywheel technically it's you know they're separate installs but they have all the same plugins so you get the same speed benefits and all the same features the only difference is i'm ju- just using two different names because i think pod wp is catchier and you know resonates you know, to be more targeted to podcasters. And, you know, some people have trouble spelling efficient and it's longer. So it's really the only reason for keeping them separate. Otherwise I would be putting everything, you know, on efficient WP. Got it. So let's move on to this week's main topic, which is we're talking about reputation and why reputation matters. And I think I can give you a really good example right off the gate here. Some of the, or a lot of the purchases that I make are, especially software purchases, are influenced by reputation. So the affiliate software that I'm using, Affiliate WP, I bought because it's by Pippin and I've been using Easy Digital Downloads for a while and I'm, you know, very happy customer there. And the email marketing tool, Drip, I basically signed up for that because I've been listening to Rob Walling, the founder. I listened to his podcast for probably three or four years. And when he launched an email marketing tool, which seemed to do what I wanted to do, it was a no-brainer to sign up for his service instead of some faceless company. Yeah. And, you know, I've also bought uh, Affiliate WP. I haven't even used it yet. But yeah, I think another example was the uh, Productize course which is by Brian Castle. And oh, yeah. that one, which I highly recommend, is is something where, you know, I've I've actually I've met him and been, you know, following some of his stuff online and then he was on all these podcasts, you know, mm-hmm. promoting product ties and, you know, it just I didn't really have to think too much about about buying it. And I think with with pretty much all these purchases where where I've bought based on reputation, I don't think I've ever been disappointed with it. There's somewhere maybe I haven't really used them to the extent that I, I thought mm-hmm. I would, but it's not it's not because the product or service is bad. It's because I just haven't gotten around to it. That um, makes sense. Can you just let me know what is productize exactly about? So it's about productizing services. Yeah. So it's uh, kind of two parts. There's at least when I was buying it, there were three options. Or sorry, there there were two options. One was the video. You, you get a video course, which is also in in text and audio format, and you get access to a community, uh, mm-hmm. private community. And then the other option was those two things plus like a workshop. And I think that was yeah, so he's doing some price anchoring there, and um, you know, uh, giving you the opportunity to spend more money uh, with him, which kind yeah. of goes back to the last episode uh, we talked about. Um, yeah. giving people the opportunity to buy more stuff from you. So yeah, that's, you know, that's what the product is. And so, you know, I didn't, I didn't buy the one with the workshop, but looking back the next time he's selling something, I'm, I'll again be 
you know, very open to, to buying yeah. it if it's, and if it's relevant, of course. It's interesting that you mentioned, uh, Brian Castell. So I've actually, I don't think I've ever talked to him or I might have had an email exchange with him once, but, um, I bought his book on design for conversion optimization like a year ago or so. And I'm also a very happy customer. So basically the, my website design and my sales pitch designs are basically based off the stuff that I learned in his book. And I, I got a lot of compliments uh, for the design of my site and, you know, it's converting quite well. So yeah. <laughs> I'm a fan as well. And I think we had actually talked about that book before, which probably helped influence my decision to purchase. Uh, maybe we should have Brian and on the podcast someday. Yeah. Yeah. I think that would be great. So he actually has a podcast. I believe it's called uh, The Bootstrapped Web. So yeah, we should, we'll link up to that in the show notes. Um, so yes. actually all, all three of the guys that we mentioned, um, they all have podcasts and I think as well as, uh, you know, written content and and other things that they've done has, you know, been a big part of, you know, their reputation, at least, you know, how I've kind of, uh, you know, grown to really trust, trust them, you know, just kind of by, by default. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's interesting too, because when you really trust somebody, you're probably also going to recommend their stuff and that might be another episode someday, but you know, uh, if somebody asks me for an WordPress affiliate plugin, I'm going to recommend affiliate WP. And if somebody asks me for an email marketing solution, I'm going to recommend Rob Walling strip. So maybe even people that don't necessarily buy your stuff, if they know of you and if you have a good reputation, they might still recommend your product, even if they don't use them because they trust you. Yeah. So next we're going to talk about some tactics for building reputation for yourself. And, you know, so, uh, you know, we mentioned it before, but, uh, content, and I think it's very important that it's quality content. So blog, podcast, and it's important that it's not just kind of being mass produced just for the sake of having a blog post a week. I think I've, you know, I've seen plenty of, you know, these businesses that just kind of churn out these, these blog posts that are not too useful. And there's just, yeah, it's just for, for the sake of just pumping out more, yeah. uh, kind long of like, tail search. Yeah. Long stuff. tail stuff, content farm type stuff. Yeah. So I think well, it is that being said, there is a lot of value in producing that kind of content as well. And you can't always, you know, as, as the founder, as the owner of a business, you don't always have enough time to write amazing content. So, uh, one way to go about this would be what I've seen. I think I've seen it on BitSketch, which is a, it's a, it's a SaaS for designers that lets them, you know, do bits and estimates uh, and proposals. And uh, I think they've got like something they call articles, where they have the long tail stuff, which is kind of lower quality. And then they have a blog, which is actually written by the guys who, you know, own the business and it's really good quality stuff. So another thing that is important is direct interaction. And so, you know, this can come in a variety of formats, you know, comments, emails, intelligent forum discussions, phone or Skype, meeting in person. I think these kinds of things are, are also important, you know, when you're, you're just doing a blog or podcast and there's no, there's no two-way communication, you know, you, you can get a reputation, but it only takes you so far. But, you know, once you start engaging with people, you know, on a more personal level, I think, you know, that adds a lot more value. And obviously, you know, the time you spend, you know, writing comments, like, and answering emails, you know, maybe you don't feel like it's, it's that valuable compared to, you know, writing a new blog post or doing a new podcast episode, but, and these things are hard to measure, but I, I think this kind of, uh, interaction kind of snowballs, you know, with your trust and, 
actually interacting with people who will then recommend your product or service or even just your your content to somebody else you know the value of that is 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 there as well yeah i feel like um i can definitely still improve especially in this area of you know engaging with other people on twitter or leaving blog comments like you said i do think for both of us probably one of the biggest benefits of doing this podcast at this point while it's not driving any financial rewards is that it's probably helping us, you know, establish ourselves a bit as, you know, people who at least like know what they're talking about in the community. So I think there's a lot of uh, value in that. I think forum discussions are really interesting too. There's this private forum called the Dynamite Circle that both of us are in. And I've seen multiple people in there launch entire businesses and, you know, get them off the ground and get their initial traction and feedback. And they didn't do that by being spammy and promoting the stuff, but they did it by, you know, building up a good reputation in the forum by writing good posts and helping other people. And then eventually once they had something to sell or, you know, something they wanted to get feedback on on their own, then they posted it and everybody was really happy to help them. Yeah, I think also, you know, there's there's a big difference between forums you know, there are a lot of, you know, lower quality ones, you know, generally ones that are that are open to anybody, I think, get spammed very easily. And also the bigger that a form gets, the, you know, the less personal it becomes. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, of course, it, you know, these things vary. You can have a really large form and still have really, really high level interactions with people. But, um, you know, it, it, it also depends on your, your niche and, and, you know, your business type. Yeah. So going back to the direct interaction, I think obviously also meeting people in person, which oftentimes is easily done when you're going to word camps or conferences or similar type of events is a, is a great way to just build your network and build a bit of reputation. And I think in the WordPress space, so the 80, 20 of attending events in the WordPress space, I think, so I have not been to any of those, but as far as I understand, in Europe would be the WordCamp Europe, in the US would be WordCamp US, which used to be known as WordCamp San Francisco. And then there's Pressonomics, right? Yeah. I think which um, is more for people that sell products, I think. Yeah, business, a more specific business oriented. Yeah. So maybe those three and maybe like one more. So those would be like the, if you you go to a handful of conferences that are WordPress related, those would probably be the most valuable ones in terms of networking and, you know, building a reputation. Yeah, I think, well, I talked about this with uh, Jean Galea in a previous episode. And I, I think he found that the local, the, you know, the country specific word camps in Europe that he had gone to were not as high level. Um, yeah. And that was my yeah. experience at the word camp Hamburg yeah. as well, even though I enjoyed it. And so I haven't been to any word camps in Europe, but the ones I've been to in the U S even the smaller ones I felt were pretty valuable. The biggest one I went to, I think was word camp, New York. And I've been to that one maybe three times, I think. And that one, I think, you know, as far as the content and the, you know, the level of attendees, yes, that one was better, but you know, the smaller ones weren't, weren't bad either. And there were some very high level people going to those, maybe not as many because, you know, the overall attendance is smaller, it's a smaller venue. Mm -hmm. And some of these places are a little harder to get to like, or, you know, not as many people live that close, but yeah, I mean, I'd say at least for me, those are worth going to if they're not, I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't fly to a smaller local Mm -hmm. conference, but if it's within driving distance, I would go. Yeah. So that's what I did with Hamburg. I think I was the only person who uh, flew into the conference. And one thing I've learned, I think is it's just a good heuristic. The more people get on a plane to get to a conference, the high quality of the conference is going to be. 
you know, on, on a similar note though, you know, even with a smaller conference, you really can't talk to everybody. I'm yeah. not sure what, do you remember what the attendance was on at WordCamp Hamburg? Like 200 or so. Okay. It wasn't that small. I mean, it was small, but it wasn't super small. So another good tactic for building reputation is simply making good products. So, you know, if you're in products, if you're doing plugins or even info products, whether it's free or paid, you know, just making something good, you know, that you, you know, will, will keep your customers happy and, you know, you'll, they'll recommend you or your products and I think that's that's pretty crucial. You know, even if you're just doing some free plugins, you just kind of get your name out there, build your brand, and you know this this stuff I think will pay off later. But if you if you make a you know a crappy plugin and you release it and then don't update it for two years, you know that's really not going to get you anything. You know, long term, nobody's going to remember you. Downloads will dry up and right. uh, stuff like that. Yeah, so that kind of helps us segue into the losing reputation part where, yeah, I guess if you have bad products or, you know, even worse, bad support and, you know, maybe there's some people posting horror stories about you on the internet, th those are obviously bad things that one, I think, should seek to avoid. Yeah, so there's, you know, there's a few, you know, companies, you know, whether, you know, hosting or uh, plugins that I've personally had bad experiences with. And then when somebody else asks me, or says that they're thinking about getting this, you know, I usually have to say, you know, I, I didn't have a good experience with it. I do yeah. not recommend getting that. Instead, this is what I'm using. When that happens, I mean, for me, it's usually only if I had a really bad experience. I mean, luckily, nothing's been a total disaster, but there have been a lot of things that have been very, you know, annoying or especially with, with support and, you know, the product not living up to expectations. And for me, you know, my, I feel like, you know, my reputation also depends on not recommending bad products and, you know, right. and warning people against getting bad products. Yeah. I think, I don't know if I mentioned that, but at once I had a customer, which was really unhappy. And I think the problem was that, you know, she, she installed easy pricing tables and she had a badly coded theme and both my plugin and the theme were using the same library and basically what ended up happening is that the theme broke because there was a bug in it and she was you know for good reason she was <laughs> unhappy about but easy pricing tables but i ended up giving her a 200 percent refund and then afterwards she was super happy so you yeah. know sometimes sometimes with good customer service you can really move the needle um, yeah and, and you know you can with an example like that it, you know you can turn it around 180 degrees, you know, from somebody who's really unhappy to really happy. Of course, you know, you, you know, you, it costs you, uh, yeah, but, but it's absolutely it's, worth it. I would rather do that it. than have yeah. an unhappy customer. It's like those, you know, those extra $29, it's, it's like a tiny expense. I think in the long run, yeah. that kind of stuff uh, pays off. And actually I have another interesting story. I'm, I'm actually having issues right now with just this German hosting company that I signed up for a long time ago because I was like building some ads insights for the, like in the German market. So I wanted hosting inside of Germany. And I'm like trying to cancel them. And it turns out that I need to send them a fax or a physical letter to cancel. And, and I'm in Bangkok right now. So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna send them a letter. It's, yeah. it's just like, if people can sign up on your site without having to send you a letter or a fax, you should also let them cancel your service without yeah. having to send a letter or a fax. I'll probably go out of my way to, you know, leave them some kind of negative review because I'm just really annoyed. Yeah. I've, I've seen that in a few places where you have to just jump through hoops to cancel and, 
you know, it's, it's part of their strategy, you know, to, you know, to keep customers longer. But, yeah. you know, when, in my opinion is when somebody goes and, you know, they want to cancel and they click that button to cancel, they're probably not going to change their mind because you make it hard for them. I think a strategy you could use is, and that I've seen I actually used against me and it, it didn't quite work, but I, I admire the effort is to offer a discount if I stay. That one worked on me the other day. Actually, I was going to cancel my Audible subscription and I think they said, if I stay, I'm going to get like a $10 coupon code or so. And I don't yeah. think I ended up using the coupon code and now it's expired and I'm still a member. <laughs> <laughs> See, yeah. So, so things like that, I think, I think those are, let's just say honorable. Yeah. It's not making you... They're not preventing you. Yeah. They're not preventing you from leaving, but, and they're giving you a good reason to stay. Whether or not you actually yeah. uh, take advantage of it is up to you. Assuming you're actually building up a good reputation, um, there's a couple of things you can do to kind of show social proof of that, you know, that you are legit, that your product is legit. And uh, the first one would probably be to put testimonials on your website. So if you have a WordPress plugin in the repository, you could take a screenshot of a five-star review, or you could, you could embed a tweet of somebody saying something good about your product, or just, you know, ask your customers and put it on the website. So, yeah, I think... Similarly with uh, LinkedIn, depending on your business model, if you're, if you're B2C, you're probably not going to leverage LinkedIn as much. But if you're B2B and, you know, you, you ask for reputations on LinkedIn and, you know, you connect with people, you know, especially customers, and then, you know, maybe you can get some referrals later and we'll have a, an episode later all about referrals. So a connection LinkedIn is basically like being friends on Facebook, right? Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's a similar type of so social network. So does it mean that they approve of you and is that why it's a... So it's, it's a separate thing to, uh, to get a recommendation. Ah, uh, um, okay. I would say, so in general, uh, same with testimonials is people often don't volunteer a testimonial or recommendation, right? but they would be happy to give it to you, you know, assuming that, you know, you did a good job or you have a good product. Yep. So, you know, the, the, the key is to ask. And that's something that I haven't done in a while. You know, I did, you know, earlier on and then, you know, you get a few good ones and then you just kind of forget about adding new ones. Cause once you have, once you have a few, then it shows that social proof and business proof, and maybe you don't even need more, but I think it is important because if, you know, you go years without adding any new recommendations or testimonials, mm -hmm. you know, maybe people will never notice, but I, I do think it's important to, you know, to keep things fresh yep. and not to, to get lazy about that. Yeah, that makes sense. And the last point here is case studies. You know, if you did a good job or if you're doing SEO and you can show a graph of how much traffic you drove, assuming, assuming your client lets you actually, you know, show that case studies are a really good way to, you know, kind of prove that you've got jobs. And some clients would really love to do it, in fact, because it kind of showcases their business a little bit. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some people, you know, maybe they just want the link, the backlink, but, you know, it's, you're getting some positive press, you know, for your business. Whether, odds are it's not really going to lead to new business, you know, if you were the case right. study, because you'd probably be in an unrelated business to the people who are seeing the case study. Yep. But I, I think, you know, a lot of people are, are happy to you know, kind of put themselves out there, especially, you know, if you've done a, done a great job and, you know, it's kind of a way for them to show their appreciation. Yep. So I think that's about it for this week's episode. So you can find the show notes at wpcast.fm slash reputation. And we'd also love it if you would leave us a comment or share if you have any thoughts 
on this week's episode. Uh, you can also leave us a voicemail, which we'll play on the Thanks show. for listening. You can go to wpcast.fm to download our WordPress toolbox, which contains our 50 favorite tools. We'll see you next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.